Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off podcast. In today's episode, I've been asked to talk about the biggest threats to e-commerce. In a recent podcast, I talked about the kinds of things that you can do if you run an e-commerce website to better protect your site. So I talked a lot about uh, hardening and protecting against known vulnerabilities, using things like content security policy to prevent attacks like cross-site scripting. Whereas in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more generically about the kinds of attacks that we see hitting e-commerce websites and how that can go badly so that you know where to focus your attention. So a little bit more on the breaking side than the fixing side today. One of the things that is worth pointing out as well is when we look at threats and vulnerabilities, uh, these can affect websites in different ways. So really for this kind of thing, I'd fall back to the CIA triad of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And we can look at how a threat actor might be able to manipulate a web application or manipulate an e-commerce site to allow some degree of business risk, but that business risk could be more than maybe what you stereotypically think of. You know, when we think of um, e-commerce hacks, we pretty much always think about theft of personal information, theft of payment cards, those kinds of things. In that previous podcast I mentioned, I talked about the British Airways hack, for example, and how many payment cards are stolen. Whereas this time around, I'll talk a little bit about that, but I want to be more broad and talk about other things that can happen. So I guess let's start at the opposite end of the triad, right? Let's talk about availability. Um, it would really suck for you if you ran an e-commerce website, if your website was taken down over one of the busiest shopping periods of the year, something like Black Friday or Christmas. Um, so denial of service attacks are a risk that organizations should consider. And the time to consider how you might mitigate a denial of service attack is not during a denial of service attack. I say that as a joke, of course, and hopefully people appreciate it as a joke. But if you don't think about these things, that's when you're going to be dealing with it. I've dealt with many companies who have tried to write a incident response plan during an incident. And as you can imagine, it typically goes badly. One of the things I want to point out, though, for denial of service attacks, these are attacks that disrupt um, programs, data, users' ability to access um, computing systems. They're They're a little bit more broad than people necessarily think. I think when people think of denial of service attacks, they think of DDoS attacks, that's distribute denial of service attacks, where they just look at uh, traffic-based attacks. So can we overflow a system's uh, ability to respond to legitimate queries by sending it more traffic than it can handle? That is a legitimate uh, denial of service attack. It is typically a distributed attack. So a lot of computers are compromised and used together to send traffic to a target system. Uh, that's a valid attack, but it's not the only kind of, of denial of service attack. There's more to denial of service than there is just DDoS. So consider that the first one, and consider that in the category of bandwidth consumption. So send more traffic to a machine than it can handle, and that machine is not going to be able to respond to legitimate queries. But it's it's more broad than that. Um, for one thing, it might not necessarily be taking the system down entirely. Uh, it could just be uh, the application runs perfectly fine, but the application's access to data is compromised somehow. Uh, so there's, you know, it could be the system itself is disrupted, the service, like the web service is disrupted, or uh, data that the web service relies on is disrupted. So it's, it's more broad than what necessarily the, the attacker can target. And it's more broad, like I said, than just uh, traffic-based attacks. So it could be other resource consumption attacks, 
the attacker could perform some action on the website that consumes resources such as memory or CPU. So for example, uh, where, where we've seen this before, it could be if a system has a file upload feature, for example, you're able to upload a profile image or something like that, or maybe you can upload uh, photos when you do a product review so you can show like this is the product that I had and this is what I think about it. It's fairly common now. Um, if those systems aren't configured in such a way to set sensible limits, if I can upload a image of any size and any number of images, uh, I might just be able to fill the disk space of that server and disrupt its ability to function just by filling the disk and making it crash or making it become slow or those kinds of things. Um, if you're a little bit more modern than that and you're using cloud resources and say you're using S3 or something like that, can I just keep firing uh, more and more data at your cloud storage and run the bill up? If I run the bill up, uh, maybe that would become a business continuity issue as opposed to denial of service issue, but you can see how it's related there, disrupting the business's ability to function. Um, those are um, powerful attacks, mainly due to their simplicity. You find a system that allows a file upload and you keep uploading files until uh, the system becomes unavailable. Uh, you could look at uh, uploading malicious content as well. So uh, maybe uploading pirated content, for example. I'm sure there's many more worse things you could pick to upload, but um, upload something that where the data that is being uploaded to the system itself could cause an issue for the organization. So we have bandwidth consumption, resource consumption, be it memory or storage, or if you could uh, interact with a feature that is CPU intensive, maybe you could interact with that feature very, very quickly and then run up the CPU utilization and, and cause the system to slow down in that regard. Or there is what I would refer to as vulnerability-based denial of service attacks. So this could be um, some aspect of the system that um, allows you to crash the system. So for example, there is a uh, Previously been denial of service vulnerabilities within Apache Web Server, for example, the uh, range header denial of service vulnerability comes to mind. Just as a go-to example, a particularly crafted, crafted HTTP request to the web server could um, temporarily bring the web server down. So we have bandwidth consumption, resource consumption, vulnerability best. And that's all just within denial of service attacks. And then, so DDoS attacks, denial of service attacks, distributed denial of service attacks, all of those kinds of things can significantly impact e-commerce sites. And maybe if you're just trying to run a business, you're not really focusing on things like denial of service attacks. But like I say, having a plan in place to mitigate those can be really important. Um, just to give some, some guidance there, um, first thing to look out for vulnerability-based denial of service attacks would be keeping your um, platform and, and systems up to date. If you're running an e-commerce platform like Magento, or if you're running web servers like Apache, they get security updates, and some of those security updates are for denial of service attacks and other vulnerabilities. So it's worth um, keeping an eye on those and keeping everything up to date. When it comes to uh, distributed denial of service attacks, there is often uh, protections that can be put in place either from third-party solutions, your ISP or your cloud provider uh, can put something in place that can allow you to filter the traffic, clean that traffic up. So if there's malicious requests being sent through from lots of illegitimate users, you can get rid of those. So that uh, can help. When it comes to uh, resource consumption though, when I talk about uh, functions that might just be heavy, be them taking large amounts of CPU or the example I gave for file upload where there's no limit set on their file size. Um, just good testing and setting good limits. Think about it from the point of view of user input filtering. 
what kind of data are you expecting from users and then set those as uh, sensible bounds so prevent us being able to upload anything malicious whatever malicious means in your context and prevent us from being able to upload huge files that kind of thing so that's uh broadly speaking availability issues denial of service that kind of thing the next thing would be integrity um integrity attacks whilst they're they're pretty common um maybe you wouldn't think about so much just my as an integrity attack so what, what am i talking about here um we could of course talk about um compromising a user account to uh perform malicious actions on that user account or we could even talk about compromising an administrative account so let's talk about um access control just for a second here and then i'll, I'll build up to how that could be an interesting vulnerability but you can imagine if I can gain access to a legitimate user's account, uh, somebody who's shopped with you before, has a saved payment card on file, those kinds of things. If I can access that user's account, uh, I can buy things on their behalf, but get it shipped to me, those kinds of things. So I could get it shipped to an associate and sell that product off uh, and then monetize the attack that way. It is good to, to try and think about the, the whole uh, exploitation path from the attacker's point of view. It's like, what is the attacker trying to do? The threat actor, what are they trying to do? How would they monetize this attack? What is their intentions, their motivations, those kinds of things. But when it comes to um, compromising accounts, hopefully you can see that it would be a, an interesting target from a threat actor's point of view to compromise somebody's account, to buy products uh, with their account that are then sent to you. This is distinct, of course, from compromising somebody's account to gain access to confidential information. So I'm separating this integrity versus confidential confidentiality attack here. I'm not trying to steal their payment card information. I'm not trying to uh, steal their personal information, their PII, that kind of thing. In this context, I'm saying gaining access to a user's account to abuse that access. Um, so I guess most sites these days are aware of brute force attacks and have some kind of account lockout. So this would be uh, to prevent a threat actor from uh, accessing user accounts by preventing them from guessing lots of passwords. Uh, we'll start there, but it's not really the focus that I want for this section. We'll just get through it though. Uh, brute force attacks are going to be a lot easier if we can perform username enumeration or username disclosure. If the system will let me know that a username is valid, um, that can be useful. So for example, if people are leaving product reviews and those product reviews are tagged by their username, that might be, you know, scraping all of the product reviews might be a good way for me to find a load of usernames and that can lead to a more efficient brute force. Take those usernames, try them with some known passwords. That kind of thing that can be uh, a useful attack. The reason I don't want to dwell on this is I think most people know what the protections are going to be there. I mentioned some of them on an earlier podcast talking about um, anti-automation attacks, preventing brute force through uh, checking that the user is a human, it's not an automated attack, that kind of thing. So something like a capture or something like behavioral analysis, I've talked about that before. Or of course, there is account lockout. If too many incorrect passwords are tried, lock the account until the user unlocks it through their email account, that kind of thing. And of course, multi-factor authentication. We can't talk about passwords and how much they suck without mentioning multi-factor authentication. But another thing that I rarely see implemented well on uh, websites and in particular e-commerce sites is preventing um, credential stuffing and, and horizontal brute force attacks. So what I'm talking about here is um, getting a list of usernames and trying a single password against them or instead of trying um, something like that, like trying non-compromised credentials. So getting uh, username and password combinations from other systems that have been compromised, trying those on the target system to see if they've been reused. Reused passwords are very, very common. So 
Uh, really, it's a horizontal brute force in the sense that we're, we're running through usernames, not passwords, to see if somebody's got a guessable, common, unknown password set. Um, it's pretty rare to see websites prevent that kind of thing. There's different ways you could prevent it, of course. The anti-automation stuff's going to work that I mentioned a second ago, or some kind of rate limiting, so just slowing the attack down to the point that it becomes infeasible uh, for the threat actor, because brute force attacks are typically pretty slow as it is, so anything you can do to slow them down further is going to frustrate an attacker. And of course, the ability to detect those kinds of attacks so that you can have some response very often, you know, having a pen testing background, I, I just like talking about like attacks and then the fixes for those attacks. But there's a lot to be said about the detection and response side of things as well. So knowing those attacks are taking place is going to be something that you want to do. But I often don't see um, organizations preventing credential stuffing and horizontal brute force attacks. So that's something to look into. And then, of course, confidentiality attacks. It, it wouldn't be... Uh, it wouldn't be a talk about websites getting compromised if it didn't include some degree of confidentiality attack, of course, because that's what we think about. That's the stereotype, you know, targeting e-commerce systems to steal payment card data, attacks like the British Airways attack that I previously mentioned on the podcast. Yeah, those are, those are all big hitters and those are things to worry about as well. Um, got a good example, though, of a vulnerability that's not uncommon. It's like a well-known vulnerability for penetration testers. We look for it everywhere. We find it in interesting places but maybe it's something that you haven't seen before or haven't really thought about. Also, I'll give you an example of where an organization's been hit in the real world with this as well, an e-commerce site. This is insecure direct object reference. This vulnerability comes about where an object reference, so a reference to some uh, data storage, is included within the URL. So if you go to your account page and the web address says something like, my account ID equals and some numbers, if you change those numbers, can you gain access to view other people's uh, account details? It sounds like a silly vulnerability. It sounds like the kind of thing that um, surely, surely uh, would be covered, but it's very, very common because it can affect web applications in a lot of different places. And also a lot of uh, systems aren't set up at a data store level to have permissions um, for the data store per user account effectively. It's very common for that to be handled just in the front end and for the access to the database to just be through a single low privileged database account. So it's possible for these vulnerabilities to come about in a lot of places. It's worth knowing about them. Um, the example I wanted to give you though was actually Moonpig. This one's a little while ago, it was in 2015, but it was just a good example of this getting hit, uh, an e-commerce website, of course, Moonpig, selling gift cards and, and gifts, those kinds of things, getting hit um, by such a simple vulnerability. And I mean simple in the sense that uh, it doesn't take a threat actor specialist tools. It doesn't take like a huge amount of, of learning from the threat actor's point of view to find out how to exploit these vulnerabilities. It's easy to exploit these vulnerabilities. So that's what I mean by a simple vulnerability. But they got caught out by this. How it actually worked was at the time, so this is back in 2015, if you bought a product from Moonpig, as you went through the checkout process, selected your product, put it to your basket, paid for the product, at the end of that stage, you would get uh, displayed an invoice. And within the uh, URL of the uh, invoice included a, a customer ID. And um, so you, you've bought a product, it's displaying your, effectively your invoice, it's got your payment card information there. Um, not the, the full uh, card number, but just the... the the last four digits and the, the payment address as well, the, the, the customer address. So um, a serious vulnerability, a, a confidentiality impact there of 
personal details uh, being um, possible to be extracted from this application this way. Yes, payment card information is not necessarily uh, a bad, it's not necessarily as um, bad as other attacks, certainly, because it's just the last four digits of the card number. But the, the address is useful information to um, threat actors, it can help with identity fraud, um, all of those kinds of things. And of course, if they can get the card numbers elsewhere, the billing address is going to be useful information from them. So there's a little, there's extra steps for the, the threat actor to do here, but a very simple vulnerability that could lead to a huge amount of data loss and um, just just simple, really. So it's the kind of thing that um, e-commerce organizations should be checking out. You should be walking through your application processes and looking for things like those direct object references, IDs in the URL, those kinds of things, changing those IDs and just saying, hey, does this disclose information from another account or another order that you shouldn't be able to see in that context? And if it does, that could be a serious vulnerability. So biggest vulnerabilities for e-commerce sites it's going to include the things that you expect it to. It's going to be loss of payment card information. It's going to be things like the British Airways attack that I mentioned previously on the podcast. Of course it is, but there's a little bit more to it as well. And I think the takeaway for this episode, if you haven't um, ha- haven't looked into it previously, is think about how damaging a denial of service attack could be to your business, especially if you're an e-commerce business, as we ramp up towards one of the busiest shopping periods of the year. If somebody could just take your website down, how bad that would that be for you? And then you can look into getting some protection from that. But don't just stop at DDoS protection. Don't protect yourself from this bandwidth consumption attack. Actually think about vulnerability-based attacks as well. Get somebody to walk through the application, walk through the server and see, is there any um, functionality here that might be heavy on system resources? Um, Something like a file upload that allows you to upload malicious content or huge files, those kinds of things, uh, and get those risks addressed. And there you go. That is my brief overview of what I think are some of the biggest threats to e-commerce um, systems. Some we know about, some we talk about a lot, and others maybe you haven't thought about, and it's, it's worth taking the time now to address those. So thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next podcast.